the 2020 American Dairy Goat Association Board of Directors meeting will be held virtually this year. And this week on Goat Gab, Cameron and I will be highlighting some of the end-of-year reports. We'll help you be in the know so you can contact your director if there is something being discussed that is important to you. Join us! Welcome to Goat Gab, a podcast about all things Dairy Goat. My name is Laura Warren. And my name is Cameron Jablowski. Uh, and today we're here to talk about uh, what's going to be happening in the upcoming ADGA board meeting here. Um, we're going to be talking about some of the controversial issues. But first, we're going to start about and talk about what's going on on our farm here today. So, Laura, what's been happening on your farm? Uh, what's kind of going on? Well, hallelujah, finally, I had some does come in heat. So it's been uh, the home of love here in Dawn, Missouri this weekend. Good. And are you doing a lot of natural breedings? Are you doing some AI stuff? Or what's what, what, what are you trying for here on these first heat cycles? So far, yeah, so far natural breedings. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of unusual that I don't have does bred by now. So I was getting a little getting a little bit antsy. So um, unfortunately, the very first doe that came in heat was a three-year-old that I have that we had a mastectomy done on her this summer. Um, Had a lot of issues with her mammary system. She was a very valuable doe to us, however. So exciting that we got her bred or that, you know, she cycled. But then there's the question, oh, shoot, she doesn't have an udder. So I don't have any way to feed those babies. So Thank goodness two other does decided to come in heat too. So um, I am planning to do my first AI of the season tomorrow morning. It's one of those pesky Sonnen does that my daughter has. Love the does. Have a terrible time trying to AI them. So we'll see how that yeah. goes. So how about you? What have you been up to this um, week? This weekend, I actually had a wedding with my girlfriend, which was a little different. Not Didn't do a lot of stuff on my farm here, but I was afforded the opportunity to do stuff on her farm. Um, and that's always different. So my girlfriend raises Toggenbergs, um, which I know very little about um, lines and, and how they cycle as compared to other ones. Uh, but we were doing heat checks on her lap, laparoscopic AIs that she did three weeks ago now. Um, so exciting times happening there. And the results? Uh, good. Uh, nobody was in heat after 21 days. Um, I will caveat and say my goats that came back into heat after my laparoscopic AIs uh, came in at 23 days and at 25 days. So um, not out of the woods yet, um, but still some good excitement still there. Those ones that wait till that 23 to 25 day mark or 28 days, boy, those are just like gut punches because you're, you're thinking, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. They took, and then all of a sudden, boom, you see them flagging the tail, and you're like, gosh darn it. Yeah, no, no, it was really, uh, it, it's disappointing, um, but hopefully these will stick here. I have to run up to her farm again in um, about 19 days now, and in 19 days, uh, we will do some preg checks with our preg check device that we own here, and uh, we will see if they're really bred, so um yeah, well, let's just wait 19 more days, fingers crossed, and uh, maybe we hopefully we'll have some nice Toggenberg babies cook, getting cooked up for her. Exciting. Yeah, and all. And what, and what about on your yeah, farm? Yeah, on my farm. So we just, this weekend, we had um, about 12 does my dad had re, or, uh, that were supposed to come back into heat if they were not bred. Um, I think about five of them did. So we rebred them. So we had, my dad had a busy weekend on the farm here. Um, and as of about a last hour or so, um, we went out, me and him, we did chores and then we, uh, AI'd a goat, which, um, we, uh, we called an audible on, uh, and that does happen sometimes, Laura, uh, calling audibles that can be good, bad or something in between, but who knows? So explain that phrase a little bit for yeah. people who may not understand. Yeah, so when I say call an audible, is um, it's generally a football term. is when you switch the play that you're playing or going to run. Um, by that means, we switched the buck we were going to use him from, uh, use the, on this doe. Um, last time, we uh, we used a buck um, that had good memory system power prowess and whatnot. Um, we decided on this time, we're like, okay, let's just kind of switch it up. And we had one straw. 
and I'll specifically call out this buck because I think it's kind of cool. Uh, Misty Skyrocket is the buck's name. He's an alpine buck. He was born in 1985. Um, and as some people may know, some I, I guess most of the population wanted Misty Skyrocket is the sire to um, uh, the reserve, a reserve national champion, Misty's Nell. Misty's Nell is the dam of Misty's Nadia, which was a national champion. So lots of good national champion blood in that line there um, that we could be seeing. And those does, those Misty's does, they were just, when they walked in, you just looked at them and you thought, wow, this, this is a beautiful animal. Correct, solid, um, just nobody could deny the fact that they were very worthy of their awards. So that's got to be pretty exciting. Yeah. So uh, again, this semen was processed in 1989 for the straw. So this semen's older than me. We had one straw left. So we said, let's take a gamble. And the, the AI, AI seemed pretty open. So let's take a gamble and let's try it. Um, nothing, nothing ventured and nothing lost uh, if we don't get it to stick. So, well, good luck with that. We'll be waiting on uh, pins and needles to find uh, out how that one Absolutely, out. yeah. But uh, That's kind of fun. Yeah, so that's a little bit what's happening on our farm here. Also, this week um, was our first week of milking once a day, which is something that um, I was not looking forward to because it kind of gave me a sense of purpose uh, to milk in the afternoons. Um, but it's opened up a little bit more free time to do some other things as well. I always get sad when when we dry animals off and um, with all the COVID stuff and working in a hospital this year and things have been kind of crazy on my schedule and, and the lab that we use had some issues and my milk records are all screwed up this year and I just kind of made the decision, okay, this we're just going to use it as a wash here. We'll start over next year and see what we can do. Um, my youngest daughter, who's the only one at home with me right now, made the decision while I was on vacation that, oh, we're done milking. So we, we have everybody dried off. <laughs> so, you know, one of the joys of, of uh, raising goats with your adult daughters is that they have opinions too, and, and they can push them through. So I really missed that milking time. That was kind of my Zen yeah. time in the morning. Yeah. That, yeah, um, that was mine too in the afternoon though. And it was a nice time to just kind of recharge after a day at work. Oh, yeah. But I will say it is nice being able to get chores done in about 20 minutes. You know, you're in and out and that's about it. Yeah. So there's there's some pleasures with that. Yeah, too. it's it's different, but we're going to continue. So we had our verification test uh, last Sunday. So um, for those on milk tests and whatnot to be eligible for um, the top 10 and some of the other statuses the American Dairy Goat Association has is you have to have a verification milk test where you bring in an outside tester to do your test as compared to your regular one. So we choose to do that every year. Um, so we, our animals could be eligible for top 10 milk production and other uh, accolades. That's fun. And you've had some top 10 in, in the Sables, I know. For yeah. Sure, right? Yeah. So we've actually had, um, I think this year we had three does on the top 10 in Sables um, in terms of milk production, fat and butter fat. Um, we've had a, um, an individual that was number one in top 10 in Sables at one point. Um, and then we had an Alpine actually at one time, um, a two-year-old that, that Laura may know very well, um, actually broke the top 10 in butter fat production um, actually in, in, on her second lactation. Um, so that is kind of our background there with our, with our milk production records. You know, I, I know that you're not a, um, a dairy, a commercial dairy, but I think you'd agree with me in the statement that it's always gratifying to know that even though maybe you aren't making your living from making milk, or producing milk, the animals that you're breeding can go somewhere else and do a good job for anybody. So I think that's pretty exciting. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you that as well. And I think, um, and one thing we've talked about here over the last couple of years is being able to quantify and measure our results here. Um, doing great in the show ring is, is our first goal. But at the end of the day, if we can have stats to quantify our animals and say, hey, this is what we're seeing milk production on so-and-so's goat and you know and being able to quantify that and recently i've been digging into the analytics of that as well and, and doing some spreadsheet analysis and whatnot um during my free time here so 
um, more results to come and, and maybe another episode of the podcast, we can dig into some of those numbers and, and analytical charts and whatnot, but uh, lots of exciting stuff when it comes to the analytics of dairy goats and, and that t- information there. That's pretty awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no, and I think, um, I think now we're going to, let's dig into our main topic here and talking about, um, the American Dairy Goat Association's annual meeting, which is coming up this week, um, and kind of talking about some things and the committee reports and whatnot um, that are going to be going on and some of the hot-button issues um, that we're going to see here. Yeah, this year is just going to be a total different beast than what the usual uh, convention and our board of directors meetings are because for the first time, they're going to be meeting virtually because of COVID and the fact that our convention was canceled this year, which gives, I think, all of us who have an opportunity to sign in through Zoom a really neat opportunity to be part of and watch what's going on on there. You're only limited by the time that you can sign in and watch it. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's going to be a great tool for future meetings as well. Um, to continue to broadcast to the members and show this is what our directors are doing for them. Um, a couple things to consider throughout this broadcast here is not all of the committee reports have been uploaded. Laura, I, I hate to pick on you, but I'm going to pick on one of the committees that you're on because I know you're on the show's committee. And I was looking to, as of today, we are recording on um, Sunday, October 3rd or 4th, excuse me. Um, the show's committee report has not been uploaded. No, it hasn't. Um, I know that we've been talking about a lot of different things. I'm sure it will be up soon. I'm hoping it'll be up soon. That that committee, that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, it is. Uh, my, my dad is on that committee, too. So he shares um, some of the work that he can with me. Um, but there's a host of other committees, not just to pick on Laura's committees. But Laura, are you on any other committees besides the show committee? Yes, I'm also on the judges committee. And on the youth annual meeting and education committees. So, okay, yeah. Things that I'm all passionate about and got very fortunate that I was able to uh, be part of those committees. And I swear I've learned so much about the workings of ADGA and being part of a committee. So, I want to use this opportunity to tell everybody if you're passionate about something in the American Dairy Good Association and you've thought about I'd really like to give back to my association. Consider um, requesting to be on a committee. It's an easy form to fill out. Um, and you, you can give back to, to this organization that's important to you. Uh, and additionally, if, if you don't like something as a member or you see a problem in the association or an opportunity to make something better, reach out to your directors or reach out to those committees as well um, to make an impact because those members on the, or those committee members field those direct things that they talk about in their committees from the members and from the board of directors. So you don't have to be a member of the board of directors just to be involved in a committee. You don't have to be a committee member to be involved in the committee. You, if you have an idea that's going to better the association, a committee is going to listen and they're going to be able to talk about it and see if that's a valid point that the entire association is going to adopt. Absolutely. And one other thing to consider here um, is that not they're only as recent as the date on the report as well that are listed in the um, on Adgas site. So one thing on Adgas site, and I'm on the uh, Colorado Sale Committee. Um, that site or that document was dated um, just a couple weeks ago, but we've since made some other decisions after a couple board of directors came back to us with more um, discussion on that to talk about within our committee. So. Um, they might not be completely up to date and might not exactly read like um, they're going to be re- read in the meetings, but they're only as up to date as the uh, the date on the document. That's a good thing to keep in mind too. Yeah, so let's let's dig in, Laura. Laura, which uh, which committee topic do you want to talk about first? I know we have a host of them here, and one thing is we're not going to get to all of these committees. Some of these there's no pending board action, and others there's. Um, maybe minor board action where it's wording and whatnot. We're going to kind of hit the highlights here um, instead of going individually each committee by each committee. Absolutely. Well, let's, hey, since we're talking about convention, let's go ahead and start talking about future conventions that are coming up. Yeah. And and we're going to pretend that COVID is going to be under wraps by then so that we're not going to worry about that. So um, the annual long range committee 
or the the annual long range um, convention group always takes a look at uh, pending sites or future sites or groups that have um, said that they'd like to have a committee down the road. And they've got some good ones coming up, I think, but also some decisions to be made about it. Yeah, absolutely here. And a lot of this stems from because of the the COVID outbreak in 2020. And um, for those of you that aren't aware, in 2020, the New York group was uh, scheduled to have the convention to be held in Syracuse, New York. Um, With that, uh, they had um, session or conventions there in the past. They've done a phenomenal job um, at those conventions here. Um, so one thing that they are considering is, and on this table is, um, to move that convention number to 2022. Currently, the 2021 ADGA convention is scheduled to be held in Tucson, Arizona, um, with 2022 potentially either being uh, in Syracuse, New York. Or the group from Tulsa, Oklahoma has brought that to um, the board as well and brought um, a proposal to have it in 2022. Laura, I know that's your district. So and have you ever been to a convention in Tulsa or? I, I've been to Tulsa before. And actually, I'm friends with some of the groups that put a proposal together. And they're really pumped about having it down there in 2022 and feel like that that would be a new venue. We've not been down there before. We've been at Syracuse. We've been um, um, in New York before. So it'll be fun for people to have an experience somewhere else. They have an amazing group of people down there in Oklahoma. Um, they put on some of the best shows that I've had an opportunity to show out over the last few years. And they're just a really um, on fire, dedicated group. Um, I, I think my personal feeling on this for what it's worth, I think it would be unfortunate to um, not go ahead with the plans to do it down there in, in Oklahoma in 2022. There's a couple of reasons to this, but one of them is um, we're going to have the national show in in that part of the country in Pennsylvania already in 2022. So wouldn't it make sense to have Agnes other big national event someplace else? Yeah. And kind of spread out that geography um, and make it more accessible to all people across the nation here. Um, some of the things I've heard along with, with people um, saying about national shows and I was on the national show and national show long range committee for a long time was um, the, the planning process of, well, how do we get equal distribution of sites throughout the entire country as appropriate for the goats uh, and goat breeders and whatnot? So um, statistically, it's it's shown that that some of the national shows have performed better in the Midwest and the West Coast and and whatnot. So how do we how do we geography uh, geography um, how do we better distribute our geography of goats throughout the entire country there? Um, and that's a really valid point there uh, having you know, two sites, um, uh, New York and Pennsylvania, they're right next to each other. They're in the same district, district two there. Um, those are really solid points there and really, I guess, concerns as, as a, that the board of directors should be concerned about. Yeah, I think so. On the other hand, I do understand they are already familiar with the site in New York. They've already done a site visit to that. And as we think about COVID and the limitations that that may put on people wanting to travel, wanting to um, go to different parts of the country, exposing themselves to airplanes and, and different things. I think that also has to be considered too. So my um, hat certainly off to that long range committee, because that's a lot of, there's a lot to think about there. Absolutely. And all of these here, and, and we, and Laura talked about that, all of the, the Tulsa decision would be pending a site visit um, with COVID. They, they need a site visit to go over exactly the logistics of the convention, especially where they're going to be hosting the spotlight sale animals. If you've never been to a convention, the spotlight sale animals stay there all from, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Wednesday all the way till Saturday and even Sunday. Well, and, and you know, something else to think about too, Cameron, and, and since you've been on these committees, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Do you think our annual meetings are going to go to a set location or a rotation of locations like our national show has been proposed to do? Um, that's, that's a great question here. Um, I personally was in favor of uh, the set locations for the national show 
that was because uh, as we can, as the association continued to look at restructuring the national show, they would be able to work with the same vendors, the same people, and, and kind of know the schematics of each location when they were able to set that specific location. Um, and they would be able to negotiate contracts years in advance um, with hotels and, and dealing with convention centers and whatnot. Um, I think it's a little different because the negotiations are less on a grander scale. Um, we're not talking about giant facilities with huge numbers of animals being moved into one specific facility and whatnot. Um, so I, I personally don't think the association would choose to um, have set locations for conventions. Um, do I think it's on the, an idea that could be on the table? Absolutely. Would I like to see it be set locations? No, because as an ag exhibitor, it's October, maybe late October, middle of October, maybe even in November. Uh, this could be my vacation. And maybe I want to see a different part of the world or a different part of the well, United and States. I, and, you know, Cameron, on that thought, too, um, and kind of we've spent a lot of time on this, but I do think it is an interesting thought. Um we are limited when we look at national shows. You don't want them in the hot part of the countries. You want them, you know, in a facility that's large enough to have it. There's not a lot of areas around the United States that can actually host a national show. Mm -hmm. But, boy, there's a lot more of them that could host a convention. Absolutely. That's that's very true here. And as we work through kind of the geography and whatnot, that's, that's a very valid point there. Um, and, and that um, – to me, it seems like a, a, a no-brainer decision, as Laura said, to, to kind of leave the committee and let host groups bid for this um, opportunity to host the national convention. Absolutely. So what do you want to hit next, Cameron? Um, I think the biggest one, and, and to me, it's kind of been a very interesting um, – so my girlfriend, as we mentioned in the podcast, she's on the Reproductive Technologies Committee. Uh, some of our friends are as well here. And kind of something we've seen through a couple of the committee reports was the Reproductive Technologies um, Committee working on cloning of animals. We've seen it, I saw it on the Registration Committee, and I saw it on kind of a couple other committees as well, and how those would be handled. Um, and, and what the association would do for exhibitors that would be interested in cloning animals. Yeah, that is that does seem to be a hot topic. And, and you know, I think when you think about cloning, there's people who have very strong feelings for it and for the things that it can do in genetic advancement or in genetic preservation. There are people who have very strong feelings that they feel like it's, um, you know, morally wrong, that it's not something that we should do, that we should always be working towards improving. So why would we want to clone something? Why wouldn't we want to just breed off of it and, and, um, you know, improve upon it. And I think, I think regardless of what your personal feelings, and, and I hope this is something that AGA, as they take a deeper look at cloning, um, regardless of what your own personal feelings are, the fact of the matter is that the technology is here. And there are people, there are dairy goat breeders who are cloning animals. It's not a thing 20 years down the road. It is something that is happening right now. You are absolutely right here. And, and one thing we're going to kind of keep saying is absolutely, as one of our podcast listeners posted out here, um, that's kind of our, our buzzword, absolutely here. But she is absolutely right, um, is that this technology has been here um, and people have been doing it. I remember hearing the first story of the, the beef cattle industry using it how many times that bulls had been cloned and whatnot. Uh, the most popular one that comes to mind is the bull by the name of Heat Wave and how popular and um, how potent he was in the show cattle industry. So cloning is not going to go away. Um, this is something that the association needs to, to step up and, and say, we need to get ahead of this before um, our people are, are going, before it comes more popular. Um, you know, we talk about reproductive technologies and sometimes some people may consider the association was kind of late to the game on some of the other reproductive technologies and how they were handled, um, IVF and potentially embryo transfer and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it's a very interesting, um, idea here and it's exciting for the association for them to take it on. Well, and again, I think, I think we need to look at the fact that 
there isn't really anything for board action on this this yep. year, other than that reproductive committee wants to have more time to work through the proposals that they're working on. But um, I was talking with the committee chair about this and um, they said that, you know, after last year's original presentation to the board, one of the main concerns was that that original breeder was going to lose lack of control over that cloned animal. And I, and I do think that is something to be concerned about. And when you mean control, um, what, what do you mean by, I'm, I'm just kind of curious there. Well, um, so their herd name is going to be on that animal. Yep. And so we all know that while genetics play a huge role in how that animal looks and how that animal performs, a lot of it is also how you manage that animal and how you take care of that animal. Um, and so, for an example, what if that animal turns out bad um, because you're not feeding it correctly or you haven't managed it the same way, but it's got the other person's herd name on it? Now, you could say, well, that's no different than if you sell an animal, but, you know, cloning, there's a little bit of a difference with that, too. Um, you know, some people feel very strongly that cloning is wrong. And they don't want to be associated with a clone because of that. So there's a lot of strong personal feelings. And I sure don't want to minimize any of those. But, you know, I, I do have confidence that as people who are so passionate about uh, the advancement of genetics and uh, the success of the American Dairy Good Association, I'm sure that they will use their best judgment in trying to move forward with a way that allows these clones to be registered um, and registered legally. Because I'll tell you, my concern is that if ADGA doesn't come up with a good way to handle registration of clones, there's going to be um, under the table. These animals are going to be taken care of somehow. And so I just, I'm just concerned that we won't be able to do it in a way that, that um, keeps everybody honest and keeps everybody straight with it. Yes. So, the integrity of the association and the registry needs a way to um handle the handle clones absolutely absolutely on a on a lighter note though cameron um did you take a look at what the awards committee is proposing yeah. for their herd of distinction award yes i think and that is a really cool award um and and as we talked about earlier in the podcast a uh, data-driven decisions and this is a completely data-driven award award that they're going to be hosting and it's called the herd of distinction award um and it, it is completely um an incredible program that um uh, i think a lot of herds could get major recognition about um and it truly is um a distinct honor if we were to go off the award um, the criteria here is 10 animals on the herd um i have to appraise 88 or higher at three years old of age or three years of age or older um, 10 animals have to achieve their championship status. Um, 10 animals have to have milked uh, 200 and excuse me, 27,000 pounds uh, between their lact or excuse me, 27,000 pounds and their lactations or 40% for the miniature breeds. We can't forget those Nigerian dwarf breeders here. Then they must have registered 80 animals to the herd name. Um, you know what? Hey, Cameron. I might have written a typo there. Okay. I'm thinking it's probably 2,700 pounds. 2,700 pounds. Okay. <laughs> I would love, I mean, a goat that could milk 27,000 pounds would be pretty amazing. Oh, absolutely. But, um, you know, anyway, sorry, that is totally on yeah, me, guys. No, no, so. I know. No, you are right here. I'm looking at the committee reports, 27,000 pounds. And that, um, I was going to bring this up earlier in the podcast, but um, we, we're, you know, we're humans. We're going to make mistakes on this. Um, and, and I'm going to go ahead and apologize if we say anything that may be wrong. Um, you know, we're just, we're just talking, but this is why I, I have the documents up here to, to kind of go through that here. So 2,700 pounds or 40% for, uh, of this level for miniature breeds. Um, uh, but it also takes into account the second standard of deviation equating to the top one sixth, um, whatever that means in complicated math terms <laughs> there. So. Well, I think it would be cool, and they said that there's going to be a special logo that those herds can use, and it's something that is just automatically um, 
awarded, you don't have to nominate yourself or be nominated by somebody else, unlike some of the other awards. So I'm pretty excited to see how this works out. And hopefully, hopefully next year, even if COVID puts a blanket on things again in 2021, this will be something to look forward to. Yeah, that's that's a great thing there. And I think about a lot of the commercial herds that achieved or work in these programs and and some of the herds that do this year. And um, I think it'll be really cool to see herds that exhibit multiple breeds win this award and then individuals that have committed so much to their breed and only milk that one breed. Um, and I think that'll be a true uh, standout there. And they can say, OK, look at what I've achieved just in my one breed as a herd. And, you know, as a, as a very small breeder, so I have 23 goats right now in my herd, and that's about as big as it usually gets. I don't, I don't usually have more than that. Um, I thought, oh, gosh, 80 animals. It says that you have to have had 80 animals with your herd name. Um, it's surprising how quickly you can go back and look and see, oh, my gosh, yes, I've bred over 80 animals. So it's, it's something that, that certainly a bigger herd could do, but a smaller herd isn't going to be knocked out of that either. So... Um, it's an attainable, it's an attainable thing, but it's also a very distinctive award. I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I did have a couple questions though. Um, and some of the wording in, in the, uh, report of awards, was it 80 alive animals, 80 dead animals, you know, how does that work? And then the 2,700 pound lactation, is that on their current lactation or that last year's lactation? Um, so I, I did have a little bit of concern. It wasn't really clear how some of those guidelines were work. Um, so an 80 animals total, is it 80 animals milking or 80 animals uh, registered with the association total? Um, Cause I know as a, as a goat breeder, we sometimes forget to up, update our list from the American Dairy Goat Association of which animals we've sold or which animals we've de- uh, passed away um, and whatnot. Well, I think that'll be something, you know, more more to learn on this because I'm sure Agile will have that all hammered out by the time they start awarding all of them. Yes, yes. Uh, I think that's a, that's a great thing there here. Um, switching gears here and looking back kind of at that repro technologies, um, when we talked a little bit about cloning, but also we talked a little bit about embryos there. And an idea the Spotlight Sale Committee has been looking at is adding uh, embryos to the Spotlight Sale. Uh, and it hasn't been voted on yet from the committee perspective. What do you think about that, Cameron? Um, I think it's a great tool in the toolbox to have as a breeder. Um, the technology from a, um, um, a dairy goat standpoint hasn't been implemented in enough yet. I know there are people that will work with them. I know that there are companies that will work with them. Um, I know my girlfriend has been telling me to flush goats left and right. Um, but at the same time, the industry has to be ready for that type of adoption. Um, and honestly, I don't think we're there yet. Well, and I think, you know, I think it's coming and I think you're right. You have to be ready for it. And dairy goat people do seem to be behind. Shoot. I, I would argue that we're even behind the boar goat industry because I think they use ET all the time. Um, having said that, you know, if, if they, if they accepted embryos into the spotlight sale, along with live animals, the people that want to use an embryo because they have maybe a, a service close by that they know they can work with to put it in, they're going to be your, your bidders. But it is going to be a limited market as compared to anybody buying um, a, a live animal. But maybe not. Maybe there's some things on that aspect that I'm not thinking about clearly. But I, I do think it's kind of an exciting thought. Yeah, I agree with you on that. But how but the question I get is, so we're accepting embryos now. At what point will we be accepting semen then as well um, from an association? So we have the, the female component. Um, at what point will we be accepting the male component as well? Hadn't even thought about that, Cameron. That's a good question. Yeah, yeah, and to me, the the two just go hand in go hand in hand. There, if you have to accept embryos, you need to accept you know semen from a, from a buck. And then, what type of standards do you set for embryos? What type of standards do you set for for semen and whatnot? Because um, as as we've seen, you know, all across Facebook the last couple of days is that there's been some semen quality issues and people talking about that as well. So, what type of standards do we set as an association to be selected to the top sale? or one of the top sales in the nation? Good questions. And again, you know, thank goodness we have strong committees 
and uh, directors who can kind of hash that out a little bit. But it's cool to think about regardless. Absolutely. I agree on that here. So one of the things that really intrigued me when I was reading through the committee reports was from the type committee. Now, um, as you pointed out to me when we talked about this earlier, it hasn't been submitted for board approval. It's just pending, but it's just something that's being talked about. And as an AGA judge, Cameron, would you like to talk a little bit about yeah, this, absolutely. this possible change? Yeah, uh, looking at my notes, this is, this is a really big deal. Um, so what they're looking at doing is actually removing the stature component from the general appearance area of the scorecard. If you've studied the scorecard, you know that stature is worth two points on bucks, does, or junior does, and senior does. So and two points. I would argue, Cameron, that those two points are two honking huge two points. Yes. Uh, the, the, and if you've been to a goat sh- or American Dairy go to go a show, you've probably heard a judge either say stature or you've heard them talk about teats. And, you know, both of them are worth low points, but they're very easy to find. Um, and you can see as a spectator, and as an exhibitor, you can say, okay, I know my goat's not, um, doesn't have the longest bone pattern. Or I know my goat um, doesn't have um, the most um, correct teat placement and whatnot there, but they're the easiest things for a judge to find. Um, but that being said, the type committee is looking at removing stature from the scorecard and then separating it into back and rump and adding one point from stature to both back and rump. Um, and that, you know, from a from a physiological standpoint of an animal, um, it makes sense, but it, it does, there's some questions to ask. There sure are. You know, now I'm I'm going to talk from a personal point here. There are a lot of times where it's frustrating as a breeder to have an animal who's probably more correct in every area of the scorecard, but is not the longest and tallest animal in the class. And that's a reason that they didn't win a class. Frustrating, frustrating. So I love the thought that stature is not there. My personal feeling is I don't want to breed cows. So I like a moderate sized doe and um, you know, as long as my animals meet breed standard, and they're proportionate, and they're they're correct. That's all that should be said about it. My feeling now, not everybody agrees with that. The separating the back and the rump, I I'm not sure. I haven't really thought about it enough to know what kind of an impact that might have. Certainly, the back is different from the rump. Um. I yeah, I'm not sure what what to think about that. And so, and I kind of come at it from a different perspective, Laura, is I like my goats to be a little taller. Um, my girlfriend has Toggenbergs, as I've said, um, and Toggenbergs are generally short. So I'm still retraining my eye from having Alpines and Sables um, to deal with a little bit shorter goats uh, with those Toggenbergs. But I, I tend to like my goats a little taller. Um, if you've shown under me and whatnot, I, I tend to favor goats. Um, but sometimes I'll pick the small, but I will say they don't have to be the biggest, but they better be the most correct, um, to do well under me. Um, so for that being said, I, I do, I do like taller animals from a personal perspective here. Um, but I also like tall and correct animals more than I like tall animals. Um, but what, but what I see this doing is if, if we got rid of the stature scorecard is we might chant, we might as an association trend to to breed smaller goats, um, whether that's good, bad, or in between, um, do we see a shift from the, how tall our goats are essentially? Um, in Nigerians, that might not be bad. In the miniature breeds, it might not be bad, but um, in the larger breeds, um, it, it's open for interpretation there. Well, the, it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing with that. And it's, you know, that'll probably be something for 2021, but I'm sure there'll be more discussion on that. Absolutely. And one final thought here, and, and this is from a, a mentor of mine and, and a phenomenal um, breeder and commercial dairyman. Um, he has he has said it takes a lot less feed to feed a, a big or small goat compared to a big goat, as long as I have that same correctness. I, I would agree with that. So um, and they can produce just about the same amount of milk as well, for the most part. And they can. And, you know, as a as a female dairy goat breeder, while I do admire those long and tall animals, they are a little bit more difficult to handle as far as trimming feet, um, getting milk stands to fit. Um, my longest, tallest doe, 
her little her back toes are just almost to the edge of that milk stand (laughs) so you know you you kind of have to think about that too but an interesting thought and i know that one of the reasons that they said they were bringing this forward was because they were looking at waste the way stature is looked at from a linear appraisal standpoint so they're trying to be congruent with that program i think i think it makes a lot of sense to take a look at it yeah absolutely it's kind of marrying marrying up the the two hypothetically marrying up the three programs as we look at shows and what the scorecard is and how it correlates to the linear appraisal traits and whatnot and then how it uh a trade um correlates to production status and whatnot as well and marrying essentially all three programs as we go back to kind of talking about uh, the awards with the the herd of distinction award and marrying all three of those programs up exactly yep and looking at that and, and knowing what linear is, one thing I think that's a natural leading to talk about the Youngstock Task Force um, that's been set up. Um, and Laura, do you want to kind of give a little background on that task force there? Well, anybody who's been in Dairy Goats for a few years and active with ADGA knows that the Linear Appraisal Program, which is one of the most popular programs, performance programs that ADGA offers, um, has and, and that program has done so much to help make people mindful of what a good dairy goat should look like from a linear standpoint. So um, points being awarded for rump width and height of the withers and height of rear udder and actually taking an instrument and measuring different aspects of the dairy goats hopefully gives us some data. So down the road, I can say, hmm, I'd really like to have higher rear udders in my herd. What buck can I choose that's going to give this to me? One of the things that that, um, linear appraisal had been able to offer in the past was a young stock evaluation. Um, Those scores didn't do anything as far as gathering data for AGA's um, sire development programs, but it, it was supposed to help Uh, especially starting out breeders, be able to look at their young stock and see if the traits that those stock were showing were going to eventually mature into productive, correct stock as a mature animal. Um, The very first year that I did linear appraisal with my daughters, and this probably would have been 2011, I think, we had the young stock option at that time, and it was really enlightening. It was interesting to see um, across the board what things my animals were strong in and what things my animals were not. And uh, the appraiser was able to make some overall general comments. However, I'm not going to necessarily say the animals that had the highest scores as a young stock were animals that scored the highest later on when I had them appraised as mature animals. Have you used young stock evaluation, Cameron, when it was offered? Yes. Yeah, so when it was offered, we did it. And, you know, I was, I was pretty excited. And but when I looked at, when I would go back and kind of correlate the data, um, and we talk about data-driven decisions here, um, again, using that word there, um, there was no correlation because we would have does that we would – end up, you know, removing from our breeding program just due to limitations and, and resources and whatnot um, that might have appraised that that EC, um, which is um, the excellent category for young stock overall. However, they just didn't, they weren't keepers in the herd. We may have had animals that were pluses um, appraise, you know, um, you know, went on to be 92 point animals. So um, knowing that and seeing that there's, we never really could correlate the data there. We couldn't either. And so having said that, there are lots and lots and lots of people who really have been saddened that ADGA dropped the young stock evaluation. Um, They wanted somebody to take a look at their herd. For whatever reason, maybe they weren't getting from shows an opinion that they needed, or they just really wanted somebody to take the time to, to look over their young stock and say, this is good. This is not good. You might consider a buck that'll bring this in. I'm not even sure if the appraisers were allowed to say things like that, but they're looking for some type of a program. So um, because of time constraints and the fact that those take so long to do, and they weren't generating any data for ADGA, Mm -hmm. um, we, we stopped doing those. The task force, however, was looking at 
at how can we replace that? Because it does seem like it's a need within the membership. The membership wants something like that. So they're looking at doing possibly an in-person training where they would train young stock evaluators to go out and um, teach people or to evaluate herds, pardon me. Or they were thinking about a video program that people could, you know, purchase and, and teach them how to really evaluate their own young stock. So I think both of those have some benefits that could be done. Um, again, it's just going to have to come down to what resources can be used on it. Yes, absolutely. I'm looking over the committee report here. Um, we're seeing uh, there is, it's needing direction here from the board on whether or not they want to proceed with this kind of service and whatnot. Um, one thing I did, I, I did notice here is a lot of people because uh, there is a minimum amount of goats that they would require for a certain amount of fee um, that they would require for linear appraisal. So a lot of people use their young stock to get to that number there. I think it was 30 or, or 40 or, or a certain amount of goats for a minimal stop. Otherwise, you have to pay a, a certain fee. So I know they use that young stop, young stock as that um, amount to get to that number. Right. And I think, you know, I think that gives us kind of a nice little segue into a brief mention on linear appraisal. Um, I think that using the young stock to help, help make those numbers for a minimum stop, that's just going to have to dovetail into all of the decisions that are going to have to be made on revamping our linear appraisal program to help, help keeping that viable. You know, appraisers, they are like the, the, the gold backbone for much of what AGA has been able to accomplish in the past 30 years. I think I, I feel so strongly about the importance of linear appraisal. Um, but I also know that it is, it is an expensive program. It's expensive to train those appraisers. Um, the appraisers themselves, they have a hard, they have a hard road. Those, that is a lot of work. Yes. And the amount of uh, windshield time, um, that those that those people see, and not only that, a lot of the appraisers they're 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 fellow dairy goat breeders. They or might be Adco licensed judges. They might have you know kids or or, or whatnot. There, uh, there's a lot going on in an appraiser's life. Um, I'm certainly thankful that the appraisers that are appraisers uh, right now go out and take the time away from their herds, away from their families, away from their farms, and go out and and participate in this program and score animals. Um, may I, sometimes I might not be happy with some of the scores my animals get, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I thank those appraisers for taking time away, um, and giving some of the resources they have towards the association. And anytime I've had scores, you know, it, it is disappointing when you think, oh, I really thought this animal was going to score higher. Um, honestly, for me, when I've stepped away and looked back at it, I'm like, you know what? they pointed out something that I didn't necessarily see on this animal, or even though maybe I wish the score was a little bit better, that is a a fairly good picture of what this animal is. And, and I've always learned something from it too. So it's, you know, it's, um, my, my uh, heart is with our appraisers as they think about their future in the program. And also with ADGA as they make the difficult decisions to move forward with, with what our linear appraisal program is going to look at look like excuse me and how we're going to have a viable program in the future that can meet the needs of the membership and also keep our appraisers safe and and keep them appraising and and moving our association forward yes absolutely and, and looking at the document here that that the committee linear appraisal committee put together and, and something to be excited about it for um as a, as a breeder and, and exhibitor and, and a member of the American Dairy Goat Association is looking at this linear appraisal summit that they're going to be having here um, and seeing it, how to make the program better um, as we talked about young stock and whatnot and how we can make that even more beneficial to the members as well as keeping our appraisers safe and well compensated for their time. I think one thing too to keep in mind, everybody has a picture possibly of what they think things should look like we're kind of in a new world right now even though we're all saying i want things to go back to normal there may be a new normal post-covid 
And so the way that appraisal is done, the way that national shows are done, the way that local shows are done, it may be a little bit different in the future. And I think all of us need to kind of keep that in mind and, and be okay with change. Um, you know, I've been part of ADGA for a long time. And in some ways, we don't like change. <laughs> we kind of like things to stay the way that they are in a lot of ways. But I think that, you know, if, if we want to go ahead and keep moving our association forward, we've got to be open to new ideas and, and be able to embrace that when it comes along. Yes, you are. You are right there. Um, looking at that here and, and kind of moving forward, I the last thing we're talking about is the national show and um, where kind of we are uh, from those two committee reports. Um, as we all know, if you're in the American Dairy Good Association um, community, uh, the national show was canceled this year. It was supposed to be held in Grand Island, Nebraska. The members voted on six judges, um, six very capable and um very incredibly talented judges that I've had the opportunity to work with. And, and Laura, you've probably been able to show under some of them as well. Um, and those six judges are now um, obviously couldn't judge in 2020. Now the question is, will they be allowed to judge in 2021? They've been voted on by the members. Um, and how does this affect, you know, what it looks like in Louisville in 2021? You know, I think, yeah, again, this is just my personal opinion. I think that they should be allowed if they want to, ju if they want to judge in 2021, I think they should be allowed to. Um, the membership voted on them. They were, they were intending to do that. And on the flip side of that, I also understand that uh, there may be some people who it would have been too far of a drive for them to show it in Grand Island, Nebraska, but Louisville may be a good distance for them and they want to show their own animals. So they might want to bow out and not, not judge. I think they should be given that option too. So maybe the membership would only have to uh, vote on two or three judges, or maybe it would go to the next judge in line. I, I don't know how they'll work that out, but, but I do feel like we did vote on it. The membership did speak and we would like to see those judges judge. I agree with you on that. And I, I, totally think that the first choice should be those 2021 judges or 2020 judges here and that they would not want to go there either a revote because um as we all know there would be judges new judges in the pool for 2021 that judge the 2019 national show um so that could be a complete game changer as well that is a, that is a point to consider consider also for sure um i think it is exciting uh that Thank goodness, even though we couldn't go to Lincoln, Louisville is still somewhat in the middle part of the country. So hopefully people that were saving up money and planning to go to Lincoln, they're going to be able to make that trek, trek a few hours over and make it to Louisville. Um, Louisville's always been a great venue to have a national show. People are comfortable with it. We know what to expect. It's really an awesome place to show. Yes, Louisville and that facility down there is is top notch, world class, um, great facility to have any type of livestock show in, um, easy access to hotels and restaurants as well. Um, and the city of Louisville is a, a very inviting city. And if you like to do um, tourism stuff, there's there's a Six Flags right next to um, the uh, uh, facility. Yeah, that'd be fun. I you know it gives you something to do between shows. I don't know what that is because I will be showing three breeds. So, <laughs> oh, well, those of us that are not, there's something to do between shows. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and from there, that national show committee report, I think it dovetails right into what the long range national show committee is looking at and um, what what's going to be happening in the future for the national show. Well, we already know that after Louisville, we're going to be heading to Pennsylvania. Again, another repeat show. Fun fact, my very first national show that I went to was in 1988, which was held at Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And okay. um, that was the very first time that ADGA had had a national show that wasn't associated with a fair. So it was huh. kind of a big, it was kind of a big deal. And of course, now we don't have them associated with fairs anymore. But yeah. um, that was a... That was a pretty amazing show. A, a little tib uh, fun fact about that. I have a belt buckle that my, my dad won. And it says 1985 
Oklahoma State Fair, Fair of America belt buckle when my dad won the 19, I think it's 1985 Junior National Champion. So That's cool. That's, Yes, maybe I'll wear it sometime to a national show. Um, and you can bring that camera along with your uh, premier youth um, exhibitor chair for oh. what breed was that? Nigerian? Yes, Nigerian dwarf. So um, that year, the 2013 national show, um, I was the 2000, I was the premier youth exhibitor with one Nigerian dwarf doe. Um, and it, the breed has since progressed and it's become a lot more competitive um, since then. But I am actually looking at the chair right now um, that I, I won from that show. I'm also sitting in the 2013 La Mancha Premier Youth Exhibitor chair that my brother won. Um, and then I was AI and goats in my vest that I won that was the 2013 Alpine um junior premier exhibit junior exhibitor award so that was a very fun national show for us okay that's pretty cool the nigerian cracks me up though cameron that's just <laughs> to be able to do that with one doe is pretty stinking impressive yes there yes i will have to tell some more stories on the podcast <laughs> about that but um, back get, to the national in, show yeah, back though. to the national show long range <laughs> committee here um we've kind of got that laid out here and, and they've got um the contract finalized for Harrisburg. So we know we're going there. Um, they had a national show as Laura said, in 1988. I know they had one in 2004. They had one in 2016. So the facility works. The, the uh, it's, it's a great facility, easy access to it and whatnot um, from there. Um, and then also they're looking at, they've officially and um, officially replaced the national show host group with a local liaison committee. So Laura, do you know a little bit about that national show host group? I really don't. I, okay. I know a little bit about the history of it, but I'm, I, so, I'm kind of captivated by this idea. Yep. So generally the national show host group was the local group that host that hosted the show. What they would do is they would provide, they would get veterinarians for vet check they would work and coordinate um, people to volunteer for a vet check. They would donate a first bale of straw for, for bedding and whatnot. They would coordinate local vendors to um, either come and serve food there or to have a feed store set up for exhibitors and whatnot. They would also plan um, the welcome dinner if they would choose to have a welcome dinner. And they would plan and coordinate the uh, wine and cheese event. So the, the host group... Um, had you know some things to prepare for but then the bulk of the actual show and running and planning it was on the uh national show uh committee actually so basically the host group did the things that you would want a good solid knowledge of what's around in that area yes correct um to kind of make things happen okay yes. so how's that going to work without that Yep. So what the they're ground. yep what they're looking at setting up a local liaison subcommittee within the national show group. So with that, and this is to my knowledge and understanding it here. So what they're doing with that local liaison subcommittee, it would act similar to a national show host group. Um, they would help coordinate volunteers. They would help you know coordinate vendors if they needed to, um, and basically be the boots on the ground for the facilities um, in the surrounding area, essentially. I see. Okay. That sounds, that sounds promising. Yes. So maybe it'll be a little less daunting for a good air, um, for a, a good facility to think about putting on a national show. If they yep. know that basically they're just going to be a liaison, they don't have to run the whole yep. thing. The biggest thing here, looking at the committee report I got pulled up is, is this without financial compensation um, as well. So the knowledge of the area and the big thing about that was the comp financial compensation a goat club would have to have, when they did a national show host group. Oh, I see. Okay. So they don't have, they don't have a, um, a concern that they're going to lose their shirt, but they also don't have the potential for making some money off of a national show then. Cor correct. Cause as um, some people may know, and, and knowing the standard operating procedures of the national show, the host group, if there was a profit would actually split the profit between the association and the um, host group. I see. I didn't know that. Okay. Yes. So the idea was let's incentivize them. If there is a profit, 
we could pay you back on what you what resources you provided to us and whatnot. So that was the idea. Um, but as time progressed, the national shows got more expensive, um, and the association started to realize that they kind of needed to take this under their wing and protect goat clubs from any financial liability they may have. Um, that was kind of this decision that was made. Well, that's pretty that I, I do hope that opens up some more opportunities for uh, clubs and groups to think, Hey, we could be, we could be the boots on the ground for a national show. We have a great facility. Let's just do it. Yes, absolutely. And it, it starts by working with um, the national show uh, long range committee and presenting ideas there for them uh, and whatnot. So, so after we go to Louisville and then we go to Harrisburg, it looks like next up is going out to Oregon then. Yes. Yes. 2023 will be Redmond, Oregon. Uh, my dad will be retired by then. So he is already planning his 2023 trip to Redmond. Um, and my girlfriend and I have said that if we are, which we'll probably still be together, hopefully, fingers crossed on that. She likes me that much. Uh, um, uh, likes you, puts up with you. Yeah, yeah puts okay. up with me. That's the better one there. <laughs> um, we, they, he will be taking some of our goats out there along with his goats. Um, and we volunteered to help help him drive. Um, Excellent. So I've heard a lot of people say that's a fun trip. It. I had the opportunity to go to Redmond when I judged in Oregon. My dad and I flew in a day early to Oregon, and we putzed around the state and and whatnot. And it is probably one of the most beautiful places um, around. I did not get to see the facility, um, but the one thing I did remember is they have this magical fruit called Marion berries, which are incredible in pies. Marion berries. I'll have to look yes. it up. That, absolutely, okay. yes. And then maybe after Oregon, it looks like there is a potential in a year or so that we could bring it back to Nebraska. Yes. It's looking at they, so the goal is the the scheduled rotations that they have here um, is they could potentially be looking at Grand Island and, and replacing 2020 with, with 2025 or something like that. I think that'd be fantastic. That's kudos to the national show long range committee. I think this rotation sounds like a way to make a lot of people happy. You're not going to make everybody happy, but um, you know, a good way to help the national show hit different areas of the country. So maybe everybody has an opportunity to go watch it once in a while. Absolutely. And, and I think this is going to be great as we, as the national show committee, moves forward and it will allow people to plan a little bit more in advance. So, you know, in you know, in 2022, you're got, you are going to Harrisburg. So if you need to save those resources up for that trip, you, you can. I think that's the way to do it. The great thing about this is, is I already have all of these built into my Google calendar. So when I go to go breed goats in 2021, I can say, okay, the national show is this date already set. So I can breed goats around when the national show is going to be as well. Now that is using technology to leverage your herd for <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, and feel free to steal that from me, people on the podcast. Please oh, do. Sounds good. <laughs> well, I think that probably brings us to the end of our list, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one, and one thing I encourage you guys, uh, listeners to do is go through these reports. If you have concerns Talk to your director, shoot them a Facebook message, call them, um, email them. Directors sh need to be able to listen to their constituents in order to make an informed decision on things that are going to affect you as members. And it's just like with our national politics. If you're not willing to get out there, put your, put your opinions out there and uh, be part of the solution, you're kind of part of the problem. Sorry to be blunt, but um, it doesn't do any good to sit and complain about things if you're not going to let people know what you want to see happen. Yes, absolutely. So get involved. Contact your directors if you have any questions or concerns about things. And don't forget those meetings are going to be live. And so be prepared to watch them here if you have some time and some resources at your capacity to do so. Um, I know I will be trying to sit in on some of them here this week. Um, to just learn and kind of see what happens with the association moving forward. Well, and for me, I think I'm probably not going to be able to just, you know, gosh darn it, people keep having babies. So <laughs> it, it seems like I get tied up in that at work. No, the, the, co the COVID love babies. Doing that. The COVID babies. <laughs> the That's COVID right. babies. Um, love doing that, but I will be watching um, 
eagerly to see those committee reports that come up. So if you can't watch the, the live um, coverage of our board of directors meeting, make sure you keep watching the AGA site for those committee reports because they're thorough and even better than that, read the transcript of the whole board of directors meeting when it comes out. You can learn a lot of good things by reading that transcript. Yes, and don't forget, if you're interested to be on a committee, go ahead and fill out that application and send it to whoever the vice president will be when it's elected. Um, that's ever important if you want to see change in the association. And that committee that committee request is usually due October 31st or Correct. around there, if Correct. I remember right. So, Correct. All right. Well, um, so Cameron, where are we going to go next week? Um, I, I don't think we've decided yet. We've got a list of topics. I don't here. think so either. We do have what? a list of topics. Yeah, I, I think we should talk about late goat show considerations because I think I, we should too. I, so let's. Well, we're going to talk about that with some bigger shows coming up. I know in the South and the nail happening here in the Midwest. Um, I think that's a perfect topic to kind of talk about prepping late goat shows and whatnot. And I think another part of that discussion could be what kind of things would you like to see at a late goat show? Because I know that there have been times where I really have wanted wanted to put one together and uh, wasn't sure how that was going to float. So yes. excited, excited to be on that topic next week. Yes. Uh, one thing as well is we do have a new Facebook page. If you search Goat Gab on Facebook, go ahead and give us a like on there. Also, we're now on Spotify and iTunes as well as Anchor. Um, so go ahead and like, rate, subscribe to the podcast here. Give us some feedback as well. Um, if you don't like it, t tell us about it. We definitely want to improve. And remember, this podcast is for the goat breeders and, and goat enthusiasts. Um, and we're game to talk about anything. Absolutely. And hey, I'd like to give a shout out to our friends, John and Nathan. If you want more podcast time um, talking about dairy goats, check out their podcast. They were the, the original American Dairy Goat podcast um, called Ringside, and they publish on Sundays. So um, they gave us a shout out. I want to give yeah. it back to them. So Yes, absolutely. Guys. Yes, absolutely. Well, that concludes that. Have a great week, Laura. Yeah, you too, Cameron. And uh, we'll join you guys next week on Goat Gab.